So where should we start? Should we start with the Peterson-Zizek debate and then see where it goes from there? I guess so. This is the first time we have Sweeney versus Bart uh, post Shishik versus Peterson. Mm -hmm. So what did you think of the debate? Uh, it was quite predictable. Um, Slavoj won quite uh -huh. handsomely, um, but in a graceful way. And I hope to begin with, they're both more interested in each other after the debate. And I certainly think that a lot of Slavoj Shishik fans out there are going out buying Jordan Peterson books. And there's certainly a lot of Jordan Peterson fans out there who buy Slavoj Shishik books. So yeah, that's right. we yeah. get more of the dialogue between the two. I mean, Slava won in a way because he, I think, you know, quite early in the debate, he just said, well, come on, this is not like a fighting ring. This is just like two fighters in the ring. This is, we're trying to have a civilized discussion here. You know, it's, we don't want the boos and the yes and things like that. It's just silly. Uh, because, um, and, and I think that was really graceful. That was very clever in a way. That's where he won. I mean, if Shabu Shishik would have won the debate, he could just have stood there and said, you know, the, the last asses tickets for this room right now were $1,000 a person. Marxism wins over capitalism right there. You know, there was certain greed involved with the whole event that just exposes that, you know, it, it was a bit of a red carpet event in that sense, which oh, I don't yeah. think that was their intention. But it is, it was a red carpet event. It was very expensive to go. There was a privileged elite who went to that event. So yeah. that was problematic, but Shabu didn't, didn't use that. And I think he's more of a sport and he was more interested in sincere things like that rather than trying to make it a fighting win. Yeah. The general problem is this one. Americans don't read Hegel. Uh -huh. They rarely do. And, and that's why they get things wrong. And, and for example, when, when Zizek pointed out you know, Frederick Jameson wrote the book Postmodernism in 1982, mm -hmm. where he fiercely attacked the Rousseauans, the, the, the current social justice warriors, right? The Marxists have always attacked the social justice warriors. So how, how dare Jordan Peterson speak, speak about cultural Marxists or culturally Marxists, whatever that means. It's got nothing to do with Marxism. It never did. The Marxists always hated the Rousseauans. And, and social justice warriors to Marxists, it's just petit, bourgeois, resentful, um, little church ladies. You know, the social justice wars are no interest to Marxist revolution whatsoever. Jameson says this, Zizek says this, Chomsky says this, Alain Badiou says this, you know, all the leading leftist thinkers basically despise the social justice warriors. And, and you know, as far as you're the more Nietzschean leftist bent, say the Lulessians out there, or, or say Simon Critchley, whose new book, by the way, is brilliant and very Nietzschean, if you're sort of Nietzschean leftist as well, you, but then you despise the social justice warriors even more. So mm -hmm. Jordan Peterson's got to get a few things right by now. He's got to stop saying cultural Marxists. There are no such things. They're not well, he says, just to, he says postmodern neo-Marxist. I guess that's the same thing. That, that's that's the phrase he uses over and over again. Just call them postmodern. Why do you involve Marx when Marx is not to blame for anything they say? If Marx mm -hmm. had agreed with Rousseau, why the hell would Marx have written any books to begin with? Rousseau was the dominant thinker of Europe in the early 1800s. So when Karl Marx came along, he took side with Hegel and he then started doing Marxism essentially. And that was a huge reaction against Rousseauism. Just like Hegel hated Locke. Mm -hmm. okay? Hegel hated Locke. For Locke, for Locke for introducing the idea of the tabula rasa, like the, the empty soul, which you can fill with anything, right? Yeah. So Locke has been the problem for liberals all along. And Rousseau has been the problem for the so-called Rousseau and left all along. But in reality, Locke and Rousseau 
is where this whole meme of social justice warriors starts from. And I'm a bit concerned about the extinction rebellion going on at the moment. I agree that we need to save the planet. But a lot of these oh, right, people yeah. who get involved with extinction rebellion now, they're just social justice warriors trying to find a new cause, full of themselves and even more narcissists. Well, do you think really it's a, uh, a doomsday cult, you know, uh, of some kind? Uh... I think it's a narcissism cult. Okay. Okay. Every guy seen involved with extinction rebellion tries to make a personal sales pitch out of their involvement. Hey, you walk down the bridge in London, somebody who wasn't even you threw a colorful bomb somewhere, you know, and, and, and it made it into the media and nobody was hurt. It was not a rebellion. You just mm -hmm. politely walk down the bridge to get your damn Instagram picture and get your name in there to look good. You know, yeah. Hegel has a wonderful term for these people who make such an effort at looking good all the time. He calls them beautiful souls. And he means that sarcastically. Mm -hmm. My yeah. version of that is don't be Bono. Mm -hmm. I, I prefer bono. you to be evil rather than to be Bono. Uh -huh. So the Extinction Rebellion, and again, it's just a social justice warriors. I mean, they've lost their cause. And if anything, the Shizik versus Peterson debate in Toronto was the death knell for social justice warriors. They're still causing tons of havoc at universities and in academia in Europe and North America. And the world for years because it's the only place they've got left. But intellectually speaking, the social justice warriors over and done with. And I think even Jordan Peterson gets it now mm -hmm. that the Marxist left, the proper left, the workers left, was always yeah. against the social justice. Peterson a is a good boy. If you read yeah. Maps of Meaning, yeah, he's a good boy. Which is a messy book, but it does have quite a few great things in it. It's far better than Trouble for Life. Okay? Maps of Meaning, at least, is Peterson as best. But he's still the good boy who wants to fight good and evil. Mm -hmm. He admits it. He's been that his entire life. And I, I think if you've read Nietzsche, and he has, then the first thing you do when you've read Nietzsche is you go beyond good and evil. At least the grown-up Nietzsche, the, the full mature Nietzsche, beyond good and evil is Nietzsche's by far best book of them all. And they're all good, right? Yeah. And, and if you don't understand what it means to be beyond good and evil, you still want to be the good little boy fighting evil out there in the world. I mean, you haven't understood Nietzsche in that case. And maybe that is also why he ends up with Christianity with people because the other thing I'm asking of Jordan Peters, and we've done that in the past, you and I, is that he got, he's got to come out as an ironic Christian. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. a big difference between a proper Christian and ironic Christian. A proper Christian believes in the virgin birth, that it actually happened. A proper Christian believes that Christ died on the cross, was dead for three days, and the damn corpse came alive again three days later. And a proper Christian believes in the rupture. They're all incredibly supernatural, right? They break all the laws of nature that we know of. But proper Christians believe those three things did happen. Well, I was just and reading, I was just reading Carl Jung, and, and Carl, Carl, one of Carl Jung's, um, he wasn't defending Christianity, but he thought that Christianity would help people from becoming too hyper-rational, like that was part of its um, strength. Like why well, it's, 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 it save people from well, we talk about today. this sort of autistic, yeah, irrational, you know. Yeah, but that was doing almost a hundred years ago. We talk about today's society. If mm -hmm. Jordan Peterson wants to be more honest, stop accusing Marxists of things that have nothing to do with Marx. Number one, you can make allies among the Marxists who actually agree with you on tons of things, right? Just because you were socialist in the past. I've never been a socialist, but I'm certainly a communist. And so was mm -hmm. Marx. The big difference between being a socialist and a communist. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to explain that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, we, we can talk about that. But, but, uh, and the second thing, the second mm -hmm. thing here, Jordan Peterson's got to come out as an ironic Christian. I don't believe that he believes the virgin birth happened. And if he doesn't believe that, and so many of his followers go straight into the Catholic Church, 
and believe in the virgin birth and believe Jordan directing there. That is so, so false. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit back Jordan eventually. You better come out as ironic Christian and make it clear once and for all if he believes in the resurrection or in the virgin birth at all, or just symbolically believe they were important. Because there's a hell of a difference between mythos and logos here. Because the mythos is that these stories actually, there was a point to them, they served something, fine, but then you're an ironic Christian. I'm sorry, the Pope would not welcome to the Catholic Church. Not a single Protestant. Or you're a heretic. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. that's, what, that's what his best friend, Jonathan uh, Paggio called him. He said, you're a heretic. And he's, he's an Orthodox Christian, he said. Well, Peterson. Yeah, said, exactly. Okay, yeah. but then Jordan Peterson better come out because if he cleared the air and got over those two obstacles, he could mm -hmm. do amazing things. Mm -hmm. But he's stuck with those two obstacles. Well, one of the things I was thinking is that he's, an, he's always attacking ideology, and yet he has an ideology, obviously. And yeah, of course he does. He's being run yeah, by he ideology, and that's his whole point. He is hasn't that people are, read Hegel. None of these are, guys are People are run by ideology. People are, are possessed by ideology. People... You know, to say uh, that all ideologies are offensive is to have an ideology. It's an ideology and it's an ideology. An ideology is just a set of beliefs that are hopefully connected with each other. Ironic Christianity, the way Jung did it, is an mm -hmm. ideology. I think Jordan Peterson is an ironic Christian. I think he's a Nietzschean, a Freudian, and a Jungian. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's an individualist. That means he ends up with Manuel Kant and Descartes, and I don't. But I've read Hegel. And Hegel tore Kant apart. Mm -hmm. Individualism died already with Hegel. It started with Hegel in the early 1800s. And that's exactly what Marx came back and reinterpreted Hegel and started talking about the proletariat, which is like his dream of the ultimate tribe. It's a tribal ideology. That's what I like about Marxism too. Nietzsche then tried to make a last attempt at saving the Kantian individual. And he did that by turning him into an aristocrat and the Ubermensch. Mm -hmm. But it's still a guy out on his own fighting the demons out there. It's, it's still Christian in the sense that Nietzsche's, Nietzsche's Ubermensch is also the, the guy who goes out of the desert and resists the temptation from Lucifer, yeah. which is the temptation to be resentful. He's the and knight as well, or something like that, right? The knight. And he goes back into the way to kill the dragon and all that. And, mm -hmm. and yes, that's fine. But at the end of the day, where's the damn team? People yeah. on their own don't do anything throughout history. He, Nietzsche is a perfect example of that. You've yeah. got to have a team. You got to have, uh, you got, especially since they're talking about happiness on, on some level, like, yeah, I mean, nobody's happy on, on their own, right? Well, at least they killed happiness. I mean, the theme for the Shishik Peterson debate was despicable. This is like happiness, capitalism versus Marxism. To begin with, none of them defended happiness. None of them defended capitalism. None of them even defended Marxism. Yeah. Yeah, Zizek didn't even defend Marxism. He's just like, he's just like no, he's a Hegelian to begin with. He admitted that. Right? Yeah. But, but he has called himself Marxism a Marxist in the past, and one would have the one would no, think no, that he would defend no, Marxism. No, I no, I no, I've never ever seen Slavoj Zizek say that he's a Marxist. He calls well, himself I, a Hegelian. I, have, I think he's an ironic Marxist. Marxist. You're saying he uh, you know, because he That's does, not a he does say the Marxist in me, uh, you know, in certain situations, he says in his book. Well, the Marxist in me is not the same thing. I can say the Buddhist. Saying, in me I'm too. a Marxist. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's definitely ironic. So, no, I agree with Shishik because I'm a Hegelian like him. Yeah. Okay. I'm a communist too. That means if we can create the communist utopia and it's widely available for people and they can choose by their own liking to join it, that's the return to the original tribe. 
Communism to me is nothing but the return to the socions, the original nomadic tribes. That's not the communist. I'm not a socialist because I don't believe in constructing huge welfare state bureaucracies where the government decide what kind of life they're going to live. Mm-hmm. That's what socialism is. I'm totally so, opposed to socialism. So, so the problem with Peterson is individualism and the problem with Zizek is maybe a nostalgic for collectivism of, of some kind. In his, in his... No, I don't think he's, no, I don't think she, I don't think she is nostalgic about anything. He calls himself a pessimist. Uh-huh. You can't accuse a pessimist of being nostalgic. He doesn't okay. long back for something that he thinks will return. I think pessimism is sloppy. Just like mm-hmm. I think atheism is sloppy. Sure. I don't think the pessimism is the end of anything. I don't think atheism is the end of anything. Mm-hmm. I don't think liberal democracy is the end of anything. Okay. I never discuss whether the future is good or bad. Depends okay. on who you ask, right? Okay, if human beings make themselves distinct through nuclear bombs and climate threat or whatever, that's good news for cockroaches. I could write a book in defense of cockroaches. Manuel <laughs> de Landa wrote a book in defense of viruses and bacteria. Yeah. He's certainly optimistic about the future. Okay, so it depends on who you ask. Uh, worst one of them all is nuclear bombs. By far worse than climate change. Uh-huh. Climate change we can handle, nuclear bombs we can't. Okay? If nuclear bombs end up on drones, and these drones are owned by various sects and cults that we have no control over, it's going to be total havoc. That's even likely to happen in the next 50 to 100 years. Okay? Yeah. So we're going to need the machines. We're going to need the machines. And if the machines can teach us how to love the stranger, because we can't do that on our own, we can go from nation to empire. That requires first that nation works. Mm-hmm. And number two, it then requires that we learn from history. We created empires in the past that consisted of nations. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm studying the Persian empires right now. I'm going to write about them in the next book with Sedeclis because there were three successful continuous empires over a period of 1,500 years that were all pluralistic, imperial, and that mm-hmm. contained nations, for example, the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. That's a really good story that we can retell today and say, we can do this again, we can do it better, and it can last longer this time because we have technologies the Persians never had. Okay, so you're but saying idea we should... Wise, Idea-wise, they got it right. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, we, you're saying we have to kind of, in a sense, integrate all these things, integrate the nation, and then yeah, move, yeah, move towards yeah. the, this global sort of, what you call a global empire. Maybe you want to clarify the concept of global empire because okay, the, global empire, it, the global empire is a technological phenomenon that's already happened. It's called right. the internet. It's called the internet, right. Mm-hmm. It means that absolutely everything on our planet today is being connected with everything else. So the planet becomes one huge computer okay. with an enormous uh, memory storage. Okay. So the, your that's argument important. is not that this is going to destroy the nation state, that, but we, that it's going to be above the nation state, like we have a kind of hierarchy, empire, nation. Yeah, the internet protocol is global. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. China and Russia are sort of experimenting with somehow being outside of the internet. That will fail. Dictatorships mm-hmm. in the world that try to turn off the internet. Two days later, all the traders in those economies got in the streets, are ready to kill the presidents, and they have to put the internet back on again. There is no way you can disconnect the world from the internet. In this sense, our prophecy in the book Synthesis and Creating God in the Internet Age has mm-hmm. already happened. God mm-hmm. is already here. God is called the internet. The internet now controls the world. Mm-hmm. It's one huge phenomenon because it means that all computers and all the smartphones and all the sensors 
and all the data centers on the planet are connected with each other. And as soon as you've got a cloud of data anywhere, it's in the interest of that cloud to unify itself with other clouds of data. So eventually all these clouds of data become one huge cloud. Now, mm -hmm. if all data of the world goes into one cloud and both Google and the Chinese Communist Party are attempting to do exactly that at the moment, as soon as you've got one huge cloud that is all the data of everything human beings do and everything that happens around us, mm -hmm. then that computer will be capable of predicting the future on a level that none of us none of the rest of us can do. And in, in, that includes predicting the future of each one of us and each group of us. So you can move all the way down to the tribal level, the Dunbar's number, which is 157. Yeah, yeah. 157 is the number where people that we can connect with, that most of us can connect with. We have, we have an idea who they are. We feel we know them. We know their names. We know their backgrounds. About 157 people. That means yeah. the entire tribe, including all elderly and children, can be about 250 people. That is the ultimate size for us. We, we are programmed to handle that. That's easy. We call that intra-tribal. You don't have to teach a human being to be intra-tribal. That's easy. To go anywhere beyond that takes effort. It takes narrative. It takes priestly work. So mm -hmm. the move from tribe to clan was the first step. The yeah. next step was clan to nation. Yeah. And it's taken us the last 3,000 years to move from clan to nation. Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of the story of the Exodus again, or we're going back exactly. to that. Exactly, the two Exoduses yeah. are about nationality, so so nationalism. So the first one is the Exodus out of Egypt, which is Moses to the Promised Land. That mm -hmm. is the first nation ever known. It had eleven tribes in it. The twelfth tribe was the shamanic caste surrounding the other eleven. That's exactly how a large tribe would look. Nation imitating the tribe would look exactly like the nation of Israel. That's why the Jews are the ultimate nationalists. The nation of Israel is, is beautiful, and it's the beginning of nationalism, and ironically, it's also the end of nationalism, because the last territorially expanding nationalist project in history is the state of Israel today. That Zionism, which succeeded when Nazism failed. Mm -hmm. So that's Israel. Now, Israel then had a second exodus, and this time it came out of an empire that set them free. The first exodus was out of an empire they had to flee from because it was a collapsing empire. And that was the Egyptian empire, mm -hmm. which was run by little boy pharaohs who built pyramids. The second exodus is out of Babylon. That's the Persian empire. And the Persian empire is the, is the good empire. That's authentic empire because it sets the, the Jews free. It tells them, go back to Jerusalem, build your temple and establish a nation so that we can show all the other nationalities within the empire that we set nations free, we allow them to believe whatever they want to build their own temple. That is the fundamental understanding of what religion really is. And that mm -hmm. understanding comes from only one religion, that's Zoroastrianism. Because it means Zoroastrianism, possibly also Hinduism, are the only religions that have understood and researched what religion is. Rather make some empty claims some beliefs that are taken out of context and therefore does not understand religion. Christianity never understood the phenomenon of religion because otherwise Christianity wouldn't look the way it does. None of the Abrahamic faith have understood religion because if they understood religion, they would never have gone Gnostic and dualistic. That was a big mistake. They would never so, gone Gnostic and dualistic. That, that's Gnostic, yeah. The, the, the Gnosticism is so the true, with all the the true religions are non-dualistic non um, uh, no. I say monistic. Monistic. I don't know where that word non-dualism comes from. Why would you say non-dual when you could just say monistic? 
So I'm a radical realist. Mm -hmm. and, and what I like about Aristotle as the opponent of Plato is that he's a realist too. And, and, and I think the realist tradition starts Aristotle, it moves forward through Spinoza, and we end up with the last today. Um, the idea of realism is that it's perfectly feasible for us to have a connection with the world around us, and, and, and we have to. And, mm -hmm. and the danger always starts when we try to imagine that we somehow are removed from, from reality. And the big mistake that was done in the West was the idea of dualism. And it starts with Plato, and, and of course, Judaism has the problem. Islam and Christianity certainly have this problem with dualism, right? So the world isn't dualist. The world is monist. Mm -hmm. So to begin with, it's a lie. You know, spirit and body are not separate. Spirit and body need each other. There can be no spirit without body. And to a certain extent, there can be no body without spirit as well. So spirit and body are united. The one thing. Mm -hmm. Being okay. human, meaning having a spirit and body, they're just two different attributes of the same substance, which is being human. Okay? So uh, the world is monist, radically monist, and, and, and there's just one universe, period, and everything in this universe is interconnected with everything else. The rest mm -hmm. is just that there's an enormous amount of attributes, that it's just one substance, as Spinoza says. So mm -hmm. that means, the question is, where did dualism come from? And I'm not the conviction that dualism wasn't just an idea that somebody that played to come up with. I think dualism has to do with the child's fascination with the sexual ritual, the Oedipus complex, right? Uh -huh. We are not invited to the sexual ritual when we're kids. We just know that dad's fucking mom, men are fucking women, and we don't have the big dicks and the pussies that they have. So we mm. cannot enjoy the pleasure they enjoy, meaning they love something more than they love us. That's the Oedipus and Lecture conferences, right? Now, the sexual ritual is the ritual. Religion and sexuality are always intertwined with each other. Mm -hmm. There are only three arenas in the tribe. There's the battlefield, yeah. there's the campfire at night, and the third one is the ritual. That means religion and sexuality should be united because religion is how we domesticate sexuality to serve the interests of the tribe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in, in you know, in the... And, um, and in Hinduism, they're united because you can go into Shiva temple in India and they got phalluses everywhere. You can no. go into Kali temple and, and she's the goddess of chaos, which is the perfect matriarch, meaning that behind me, there's only chaos. So if you're not terrified of me and move ahead of me, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. That's the chaos goddess, right? No. Always a matriarch. The matriarch and the patriarch are there in full effect. That's in Hinduism. Sorastrianism does the same thing. Interesting enough, in parallel with Buddhism, because Sarastinism takes on the patriarchal role of leading the tribe. It's obsessed with the phallus. In mm. Persian, it's called Hunar, by the way. That's a, that's mm -hmm. a Persian word for a phallus. And Hunar Mas in, 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 in Persian means art. Everything that comes out of the phallus, out of the phallic, is artistic, you know, it's mm -hmm. aesthetic. Right? That's a Persian idea. It's very Sarastin. In the other end is the Buddha. And the, the Buddha is really the worship of the matriarch. Like, why don't we just resign to the chaos that comes after us and then we fall into nirvana? Which is okay. That's a perfectly acceptable intellectual position. The Chinese then try to unify these two, and that's called Taoism. And yeah. of course, it's a beautiful idea because Taoism really is the religion of the tribe. The only problem with Taoism, when you place it inside a very advanced civilization, is that it becomes an obsession with harmony and balance. Mm -hmm. And the irony here is that the Chinese maintain harmony and balance each time for about 150 years, and then all of China implodes into massive bloodbaths. 
-hmm. That's the entire history of China looks like that. And I'm beginning to come to the conclusion that maybe it isn't such a good idea to worship yin and yang at the same time. Yeah. Well, I was, I remember I went to the, the Museum Ghibli in, in Paris and, and you saw these Buddhist statues and they were all, they're all very serene and, and kind of calm and beautiful and harmony. And then, and then there's the tantric statues, which this energy, this explosive energy, you know, of the, the protectors and they're fierce and they have skull cups and they're, and, you know, there's this fierce energy that, and that was sort of wiped away in the 12th century as this completely disappeared and, and, and the religion became very, let's say, um, very tame. This, this fierce kind of, uh, I guess, tantric energy. Which was always yeah. There. I, th I think they still build sex temples in India way into the 15th century. But yeah, they were influenced by Islam and certainly by Christianity and, and this idea of the asceticism. With asceticism, uh, this is the boy's revenge on the grown-ups. It's just like, no, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be dirty like that. I'm not going to immerse myself in sexual acts at all. I'm going to stay above that. And mm -hmm. this is where the Gnostics starts in history. And Plato is, of course, the, the par excellence you know, the ultimate Gnostic. It's just like, it's just like, um, I am a boy, I'm above the grown-ups, and I can dream about perfection, I can dream about immortality, I can dream about infinity, although none of those things actually exist, because I'm a dualist, and I hold spirit above body, and the body is dirty and sinful, but the spirit is high and clean and pure. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, this is the Abrahamic religions, because they all came out of Egypt. They all come out of this fantasy. I always say that Plato is the Egyptian Greek. It takes on the Egyptian heritage, it takes it to Greece. That is Platonism. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what Platonism and the Abrahamic religions have control what we call the West. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the West, in a way, is a failed West because the West should have been the Persian Empire, the Roman Empire, and the Arabs as a brilliant third new force. But that's what happened because Byzantine and Stasiphon. Byzantine is the capital of the New Rome, and Stasiphon is the capital of the Persian Empire, were at such loggerheads with each other in the seventh century, and they basically fought each other to the ground, and opened up the world for the Arab invasion, and within fifty years had taken on half the planet. Yeah. I don't think the Muslims even had the intention of expanding that rapidly and that 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 wildly, but they did. They did they expanded all the way to China, all the way up into northern Russia even. They were way up into Europe, almost in Paris, before they got stopped. They were, all, of course, later also all the way up to Vienna. And eventually they took all of North Africa and the Middle East and large parts of the world. And they're now becoming the biggest religion on the planet. So this Arab invasion that only took about 50 years was a massive military victory. But it was the result of the Persian Empire and the Roman Empire fighting each other down to the ground. So they were incredibly vulnerable. And what happened was the Persian Empire became extinct. And Zoroastrianism more or less disappeared and became a small minority religion in India and Iran after that, whereas Islam took over. And of course, Islam then adopted tons of stuff from Zoroastrian culture. For hundreds of years, all the famous Arabs were really well-educated Persians, right? So the Persian empire was taken over by the Arabs. And, and of course, the Persians had already moved their capital to Stesiphon, mm -hmm. and all the Arabs needed to do was to just move their capital slightly west of Stesiphon, where they built Baghdad. And for the next 500 years, Baghdad was the biggest city on the planet. So we have mm -hmm. three Babylons close to each other. Babylon itself, Stesiphon, and Baghdad. Okay. Three huge cosmopolitan cities, all built in contemporary Iraq, where the Arab one, Baghdad, was the last one that we still have today. 
But I think the West should have been Zoroastrianism because Zoroastrianism came from the East. Zoroastrianism never divided between religion and sexuality. The Zoroastrians considered the Manichaeans and the Gnostics to be total heretics. They went after the Mastakists. The Mastakists were the first socialists or dualists. They went after the Gnostics mm -hmm. and they went after the Manichaeans and they all considered them to be heretics worthy of death because the Zoroastrian religion preaches unity of religion and sexuality. And it does so exactly like Taoism and Buddhism and Hinduism do. And okay, I so what's the difference central... between that and Rousseau and sort of romanticism of you know, sexuality? And, you know, what's the difference there? Oh, oh but the Rousseau, Rousseauism is completely dualist. It's completely um, dualist. I see. No, what Rousseau just says that you can walk around and fuck anything you like, whenever you like, and you're free and all that. So it's just that's lacking in sophistication point, and ritual and, and uh, that's just, civilization. That's just, that's just division. Yeah. That's sexuality without religion. That's not any better. What I'm saying is that religion and sexuality must be combined. Religion is how we tame sexuality in the service of the tribe. Okay? So we, 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 we give it the energy it should have, we thrive on it, we also put it in our heads, and we create civilization and amazing things. You can't just fuck anything that moves, but you must fuck. Because if you don't, you become a Catholic priest who becomes a pedophile. You have a pedophilia pandemic in the Catholic Church today. There's no such thing in the Buddhist congregations. There's no such thing in Zoroastrianism. There's no such thing in Taoism. It's exclusive in the Catholic Church that the massive pedophilia pandemic, yeah. precisely because the Catholic Church is preaching that sex outside of marriage and even outside of marriage, outside of any reproductive purpose is a sin. It isn't. Mm -hmm. That's only because the Catholic Church is full of little boys who hate sex. And it always has been. And that has always been its problem. And now in Catholicism, it's with the Eastern religions, this just has to go. Dualism is the one thing the West has to give up on because dualism does not work. And thankfully, Western philosophers from Hegel and forward have worked intensively in constructing a new Western monist worldview. From hmm. Hegel through to Nietzsche. Well, it starts with Spinoza, then Hegel and Nietzsche, and certainly White in the 20th century and, and Deleuze. We have this rich now modern philosophical tradition, which is monist. You're saying that Peterson is a, uh, is a, is a dualist. Peterson is, Peterson is either a Nietzschean or a Christian. You cannot be both. You can't. I want him to come out and, 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 and express. Is he Christian or a Nietzschean? You can't be both. Nietzsche would be totally, totally opposed to that idea. Nietzsche is the reversal of Christianity. He's Christianity inside out. Well, he called himself the Antichrist, didn't he? Um, yeah. Exactly. So you um, can't play with both and get away with it. I mean, maybe you can if you write 12 Rules for Life, but not if you're a serious damn philosopher and political activist and futurologist. You, you can't be serious about that. You have to make a stance. And, and, and we've got to understand that we arrived at a modest worldview. And, and physics agrees with us on this one. Biology agrees with us on this one. Science agrees with us on the modest worldview. The East always got that right. And they got it right not because they were scientifically superior, but because they never did split religion and sexuality in the first place. 
This is Freud's point too. This is Jung's point too. None of them are Christians. So I don't understand why Peterson is playing this game with these wealthy Christian churches in North America. Like he wants to be popular with them or something. I don't know. Because to me, he's a really ironic Christian and he should be- Well, to me, he's a Jungian. I mean, that's, I, think he's, I think he's a disciple of Jung. That's, that's my theory. I'm, I think mostly um, that's where he gets his, uh, you know, psychoactive power, you know, from reading Jung and just my experience in reading Jung. I think that's where it comes from. Yeah, like, but Jung- Like Jung's not- answers to Job, like, you know, it's, it's, it's so heretical. And uh, yeah, but there's, there's, there's quite a lot of new age garbage in Jung, for God's sake. You can't just accept Jung fully 100%. He was mad parts of his life, too. It's just like, it's like when we talk about the Aristotelian revival, I'm all for it. You can't accept everything Aristotle thought and said. Some mm. of these ideas are dead wrong. It's the same yeah, but, Jung. yeah, but Jung is so complex that I, I feel that he's, uh, he, I, I feel like he's, he's, he's misunderstood or he's the darker aspects of him are misunderstood. Like people have run away with the lighter aspects of him. And Well, I, you and I haven't. No. Do we have a problem with shadows? No. Do we even believe in good and evil? No. Well, would that be a problem? I, I think if Jung, if people have a problem with Jung, it's because Jung had a problem with himself. He wasn't coherent. A lot of thinkers are not. Great thinkers are either coherent and have a system, or they are gold mines. So you can find pieces. Well, he's of a gold mine. Yeah, that's what he is. Well, but also because he's a pioneer, so so people haven't fully you know figured him out yet. I mean, yeah, sure. He yeah. is a gold mine. That's that's how I would look at him. I mean, yeah, we've we've had young texts have only published in the last ten years, so there's still tons of stuff to to research and and, and dig into. And there's an older young, there's a younger young. It's often is the case with thinkers too. So yeah, mm-hmm. he's a gold mine, but. That means to say you're a Jungian means you probably need to say you're something else as well because you're not actually coherent with, with a specific system. You don't have a specific ideology. And at the end of the day, Jordan wants to take the next step and he's serious about it. Two things he needs to do. He needs to become an ally with the communists and the Marxists and get over his, his childhood bad memories of socialism. He, we're not talking about social justice warriors here. Shishik is totally opposed to them, right? He's an ally. The second thing is, is okay, do you have any no hope that that would happen? I mean, I mean, he's built his platform on a, you know, very fierce, you know. Well, I still have problems with this individualism, but I have the problem with every American I meet because Americans are Cartesians. Hmm. They, they got stuck with the model Kant. And, and well, you're saying he has America. to do this. He has to become, you know, a, he, has to, he has to ally with the Marxists and communists, but... <laughs> I find that very unlikely. Well, then we can get down to the then we can get down to the, the heritage after Immanuel Kant because the Americans in analytical philosophy you study Kant and then you study Fichte and then you completely drop it when Hegel arrives. Analytical philosophy starts with the tragedy of not understanding Hegel. That's I'm totally. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm totally with Hegel. America still produced really shining thinkers in the worlds of semiotics and process and, and complexity. Charles Saunders Peirce is one of them. Alfred North White is another one. But they did read Hegel. And they did understand Hegel. And they would have been impossible without Hegel. Mm-hmm. They're American Hegelians, if you like. That goes to Peirce and that goes to White. That's exactly why they're brilliant. The rest of analytical philosophy in America and the UK got completely obsessed with tiny little issues so they could go to their little academic dinners and still be flirting with some women and be popular as if they were some kind of little scientific field. Philosophy is not a science. 
analytical philosophers in America, in the UK. We're not going to have much use for them in the future because all they did was sit around and divide back and forth by tiny little details like little church ladies would have done in Bissons a thousand years ago. And yeah. they didn't get anywhere. It was not useful at all. I mean, any damn computer scientist today beats the shit out of analytical philosophers. They're not, they're useful because they don't deal with philosophy should deal with, which is metaphysics, epistemology, phenomenology, ethics, and you know, that shit. No, 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 no. They were just sitting there, you know, staring at their navels or something and trying to get laid or whatever, but they're not interesting. And, mm -hmm. and the, the school, the great schools of American thinkers today, like Adrian Johnston, Aaron Schuster, Manuel de Landa, all my favorite North American philosophers today, Probably none of them belongs to the analytical philosophical school. They turn mm -hmm. their backs on it. They've educated themselves in Europe. They belong to the European continental tradition, and that's what the great thinkers do. They understand mm -hmm. Hegel. They understand Lacan. They understand Freud. They certainly get Jung. They, Heidegger. They, they get yeah. And Heidegger. Yeah, they yeah. get all those amazing thinkers that Europe produced over the last yeah. 20 years. They yeah. all come after Hegel. Hegel made a turn after Immanuel Kant. Well, I think we believe we live in the beginning of an Hegelian era that started in the early 1800s. In terms mm -hmm. of thinking, we certainly do. And I think the Hegelian nation is what we did accomplish. It's the modern nation state. It was Hegel's fantasy. So he said this will work. And he copied it after Napoleon's army. He did that in the Phenomenology of Spirit, 1807. So mm -hmm. he basically built the modern nation state on Hegel. Uh, we haven't done Hegelian religion yet. Mm -hmm. That I would love to do. How would you and do we that? Have it, uh, Hegel has an amazing understanding of God, which is exactly where Whitehead got his concept of God from. So, mm -hmm. you know. Can you say something about that? I, I'm curious. What God his understanding of God me. was? What Hegel's understanding of, of the absolute? God has to be understood as a concept. It's a pure concept. It's a name. Okay, it's a name. So it's the name of the Ur father in the tribe. It's the name of the Urmutter in the tribe. It's the name of the father of the fathers. It's the name of the mother of the mothers. It's the name of the direction we're going. It's the name of the history we're coming from. Meaning anything that has value to us here and now is God from the future or God from the past. Huh. That's Hegelian religion too. That means the original tribal religion was Hegelian. So this is all about a return to that religion. What would be the equivalent to doing that today? Well, we postmodernism, we heard that we must not have a grand narrative because they're dangerous. Well, that's the most dangerous position of all. Mm. Again, that is a grand narrative itself, an anti-narrative. That's really dangerous. No, no, no. Human beings need direction. We need purpose. Uh, we need, and that's all about where we're heading next. And well, the extinction rebellion, I, I want to bring that up again because that seems to be an anti-grand narrative of some kind. Do you know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. That's exactly why it's so attractive to the guys who were social yeah. justice warriors only two years ago. It's the same people. It's sort of passive aggressive, isn't it? It's like, a, I don't know. Exactly. To, and it's yeah. not about solving a problem. It's about keeping the problem. It's about yeah. having an excuse to run around being high in yourself because you're extinction rebellion people. Like, and all of them, most of them are drug addicts and all kinds of things. They don't have careers. They don't have education. They, their lives are miserable, they're failing, they're getting resentful. And suddenly, Greta Maguchi comes along, this little Swedish girl. I call her Greta Maguchi because she'll be out next year. She's just in for a season. They're all playing with her. And then suddenly yeah. they got the Extinction Rebellion. And it's just like, that name in itself speaks volumes. Yeah. It's a yeah. fucking death worship. It's death worship. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. dystopian. Yeah. Well, I said, I called it the Doomsday Cult. Uh, I, you know. Yeah. I, and 
-hmm. Where are the solar and wind power engineers when we need them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, God. We don't need these self-fulfilled Instagram narcissists to say they're doing things for rebellion and protesting because we need to save the planet. You haven't no. solved anything. Get a fucking education. Yeah, you Become need an engineer. Solve problems like uh, fission, fusion power. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like, if, if you solve the acute problems so we can have cheap, reliable, sustainable energy on this planet for the next 100 years, we've solved everything. I, I and think really, well, it's not the climate. I think the climate it, I, it's also, I think they want to worship children. It's like they want to worship children like, like, and this is the, it's like in the spirit, spirit of the devouring mother or something. It's like they want to worship. Yeah, they're children who you refuse to grow up. It's the Virgin Mary and the Jesus child all over again. Without the Father, without the Son, without the Holy gold, gold, Ghost or anything. It's, it's just Virgin Mary, Jesus worship all over again. It's the worship of the mother and the child, devouring mother, and the child that refuses to grow up. This is also going to become Gnostic. Extinction rebellion people are also oh Gnostic. it's Gnostic it's a Gnostic they hate it's sex. a Gnostic heresy in fact isn't it yeah, exactly yeah. they don't want the problem solved they're not problem solvers anybody anybody is a utopian person will have a problem they want to solve and they have a method for solving that that's what ideology is I want to create the communist society and I want to do it by giving human beings a chance to collaborate with machines to solve human beings from themselves and the problem here is not the climate threat the problem is climate balance. The question should really be, how do we avoid the next ice age? Because if we're going to stay 10 billion people on this planet, we cannot afford the next ice age. Yeah. Well, you solve said that, that before, thing. so it's, it's kind of, you have, yeah. to, so if you solve you have, the you have to go one more step ahead years, rather than... the problem here. Yeah. 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 So we need to find technological solutions to cultivate the planet in its entirety so we can control it, so we can be 10 billion people on this planet for the foreseeable future. Nothing else counts. Nothing else is realistic. Nothing else, nothing else is interesting here. And anybody who claims they're here to do anything else probably have their own egotistic, narcissistic agenda, meaning they're enjoying the doomsday cult and they're enjoying the celebrity and, and prominence they get from it and belonging to this, this anti-tribe that they belong to. It's a sect, it's a cult, it's a doomsday cult. It's not healthy. It doesn't, it doesn't respond to the needs of humanity. It does, it, uh, it's childish, infantile, self-preoccupied. Why, why don't I see tons of engineers walking in these, in these extinction rebellions? No, I don't. No, I, I just see tons of people who are high on themselves, usually failed artists who take tons of psychedelics. And they're very high on themselves and they're walking in these trains, walking in these demonstrations together, being high on themselves like if they're superior to the rest of us. It's just the same damn social justice warriors all over again. Now they're just hijacking the climate issue because they've lost the gender wars. Yeah, and they want to be, they want to be cutting edge. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about being in and out. It's, it's, like fashion, yeah. it's all about fashions and fads. Yeah. Fashions and fads. It feels There's that way to me. Deep. Yeah. There's nothing deep in it. There's nothing sincere in it. It's not realistic. It's not tied to realism. It's not tied to reality. Okay. It's devoid of it. It's infantile and self-obsessed and narcissistic. Instagram-driven. Meaning they're there at the Extinction Rebellion to get a picture of themselves and a t-shirt, and then they go home three days later and nothing will have changed. Yeah. Well, dystopianism will not win anything anyway. You have to be utopian to win anything. And the only way you yeah, utopian you... today. I'm, I love engineers. I love engineering. I love technology. Yeah, I, I teach engineers all day long, actually. I, yeah. I like them too. There you go. There you go. Yeah. They're, that, they're, those are the heroes. So those they're are the they're creative and they like wacky things and, and they're 
you know. Yeah. They work together on weird projects and yeah. It's I love the makerspace movement. I love when kids sit and work with their own hands and do funny little technology things and invent their own toys and things. And I think to put stuff into the hands of kids today with technology tied to it so they work with like intelligent toy material is great. Mm -hmm. We need to get the kids off the screens. And we need to get them off this idea that if they're at a screen and they're talking writing on the screen, they have power and influence and they should deserve attention just because they're there. Oh, that's important. Jeez. Wow. That's so that is exactly what Instagram narcissism is. Uh -huh. The technology itself makes it thrive. And the disappointment on these guys when they realize that they just have liked each other and hugged each other for being so brave and wonderful and beautiful to walk in the extinction rebellion demonstration, then do nothing else besides that. This is just like, this is just like people signing things online, like they press a button and they think they've done something, right? It's the same attitude. It's not about, it's not about solving the acute problems. And, and climate threat is not the acute problem. It is a problem, but climate balance is the real problem and containing nuclear weapons is the other big problem. Those are absolutely acute problems we need to solve. And if we don't solve them, I hope the machines solve them for us. And if we don't solve them and the machines don't solve them, we're smoked. We're mm -hmm. done. Yeah. But this is the yeah. social justice for your crowd all over again. And if you ally yourself with that crowd, you're not going to solve any problems at all. You're only there to look great and get a t-shirt, Instagram picture, a few likes, nothing will happen. Now, if you're seriously interested in, say, avoiding the climate threat, today you become an engineer and you know what? You probably build nuclear power plants. That's the honest truth. That's the honest scientific truth. If you want to avoid the massive use of fossil fuels in the world, you want to save Tibet for China. You want to save Himalaya for India. You want to save the yeah. Alps for Europe. All these and you want, to sell, you want to sell the, Amer the Western half of the USA because it's drying out. And you want to save the Middle East. Probably mm -hmm. the, the part of the world where most damage will be done through the climate change is going to be the Middle East. Okay. You want to save those parts of the planet. You're really you're serious about that. Nuclear power today is by far the most affordable best and safest solution you can have because nuclear yeah. power minimizes fossil fuels in absolute zero. Yeah. Solar power and wind power are not nearly enough to compensate for that. And without cheap electricity, we cannot do what we need to do. Mm -hmm. yep. Anything else you say right now is not serious. It's not, it's not, it's not attached to reality. It's just religion. It's just bad religion. It's religion. It's, it's, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's yeah. full of itself. I'm an ecotopian. I think we can build a sustainable planet. I think engineers can do that. I'm sincerely an ecotopian. That's a great word. But I'm not an environmentalist because the word environmentalism has been... Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. ...with this horrible nonsense that has nothing to do with saving the planet or saving the climate or anything. I mean, for God's sake, why do I have to put stuff in five different bags every time I'm going to throw away some damn garbage? If Artificial intelligence cannot even help me put my garbage in the right garbage bin. Then these bins there are not about saving anything. These bins are only there to make people look good and have other people look evil. Yeah. Just ban on moralism again. That's, yeah, moralism. And, and what, another word I learned from one of your books was de demonism, I think was a word you, you used. 
Demonology, yeah. Demonology, yeah. it seems. Yeah. It seems Object, yeah. Objectification, creating abdis, creating people you can blame for demonology. everything mm -hmm. so that you can, get, you can get away with the lifestyle you have and look good. You know, there are people who love to have the apartment next to the garbage bins of the house so they can look out every day and check who's doing what. They're called yeah. church ladies. Yeah. yeah, that's they exist in church ladies. Yes. Yeah, they call church, church ladies. ladies yeah. And and I think the church ladies next are going to walk in extinction rebellion parades with tarot cards and do astrology. Uh -huh. Probably going to be next because once you are this high yourself and this lunatic in in this devoid of you know reality, when you do these things, you might as well have the tarot cards and the astrology with you and think that's going to solve anything. Yeah, I've got I've got more respect for for the the tarot card and, and the astrology because it's a game, right? I mean, it's it isn't for the people who do it. It's dead serious, and it's yeah. on a par with the people who walk in extension rebellion parades to look mm. great when in reality they're not doing much at all. You know, mm. it's just it's, that won't make a change. That won't make a difference. Right now, I think that bureaucrats and engineers are much better at solving the problems we have than any of these people hiding themselves on Instagram. To be honest about it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a non-issue environmentalism is not my thing at all but ecotopianism yes but i believe in building the solutions oh that's great yeah i, I really i yeah. really appreciate that I, I i i i'm i'm so fed up with the, the truisms and you know the the cliches and the you know everything you all these words that people use and in, in they just they yeah, i'm glad you're, you're finding new words for it you know for, for yeah. where we need to go yeah yeah Absolutely. So I think it's great that the kids are buying Shishik and Peterson books and, and the de debate is extended. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, there just needs to be more voices in there. Uh, I don't think Shishik or Peterson will ever become futurologists, either one of them. And this is about the future. So mm -hmm. whereas they can create foundations and hey, Shishik is absolutely right about we need to read Hegel again. I, the, the only issue I really disagree with Shishik, and I disagree with strongly, is I find him, his anti-Semitism towards Israel to be quite despicable, to be honest about it. He's, he's taken side with a sort of an Israel-hating, sort of a Western, very petit bourgeois lobby, which to me as a Marxist... Oh, he has, is, has he? He's mm. incompatible with the rest of his philosophy. He, he, he's chickened out on that one and plays into to something quite mean and nasty. And why would he suddenly be so concerned with territory? Yeah. I love Israelis, I love Palestinians. I think they're the, by far the two most interesting and fascinating people in the Middle East. I don't know what the rest are doing, but no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's my attitude. Why don't we keep this attitude of being the Buddhist and the Zoroastrian who feels superior to all these petite little Westerners and their, and their silly little religion?